electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, you'll hear from Orlando Bravo. He's the co-founder and managing partner of the private equity firm Toma Bravo, which focuses on technology investments. He joined us at CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference on September 29, 2021, to talk about where he sees the biggest opportunities in technology, from cybersecurity to cryptocurrency, and his firm's mission-driven approach to investing. Bravo spoke to my colleague Leslie Picker at CNBC's Delivering Alpha on September 29, 2021. Here's their conversation. You have been one of the most prolific dealmakers in the pandemic era. Six deals this year alone representing a combined deal value, a combined transaction value of $40 billion. That's just remarkable for one fund. Why is the current environment giving you a green light to buy? What is giving you that signal? And do you expect this current environment to continue? So, look, this is in our our 20 years of private equity investing in software, and being focused just on this space. This is the best time for us. And and there are three things going on right now. We're getting to buy the market leaders at scale and at high growth as well. The three of them combined. And we're fortunate that we can do that because our team can execute. The reason for that is people like to work with us. We have great people on our team. We have a great culture and really importantly, a reputation over 20 years of making big improvements in the companies that we buy and doing that with existing management. And that's our mission, empowering existing management to do better. Now, these software companies, they're compounding at 20% plus, and they're ultimately becoming the entire business of a company, the entire business of a customer. So the deal sizes are going to continue to go up and the velocity is is also going to continue to be there. I want to ask you about this idea that it's the best time for you and your your long history of being a tech investor, because it's no secret that software companies in particular have received sky high valuations over the last year or two in the public markets. Also, that is certainly the case uh, in the private markets based on conversations I've had with other investors. You know, do you think that it could be due for some reckoning? Are you worried that you're in this cycle where you might be paying too much for these assets? Once again, in the last 20 years, with the exception of the dot-com bubble burst in 1999 and 2000, and with the exception of the financial crisis in 2008, valuations have always been, quote-unquote, expensive in tech and software. More important than where valuations are is the quality of the companies now in the software industry is totally different and totally superior than where it was 10 years ago. You're getting companies now that are 100% recurring revenues, that have 90% gross margins, and that have growth rates that are four to five times the growth rate that existed before 2010. Because once the industry permanently moved to cloud computing and to SaaS, 
Customers really have an infinite budget if you can reduce their cost in a period of time or increase their revenues in a period of time. And they can consume these products very easily because they don't need all this internal IT infrastructure. In general, from an index standpoint, valuations in software are reasonable based on the quality and growth rate. Now, in private equity, it's more powerful than that because we don't just take the company and buy it and leave it as is. We are in the business of trying to make a return through big operational improvements, and software really lends itself to that because it can produce very high EBITDA margins while at the same time growing revenues very quickly. What area within software are you seeing the most opportunity right now? Software, maybe 20 years ago, was seen as more monolithic, but these days, software touches everything. So where are you seeing opportunity in terms of your ability to drive alpha? First, you you said the word everything, and it really is touching everything. We are seeing vertical markets in software that in the past, when it was an on-premise business, these verticals were back office oriented and were growing at 5% a year. We're seeing now the same verticals, SaaS companies that are becoming the operations of the underlying customer growing at 30 to 50% in verticals that themselves don't have that much growth. Now, when you move aside from applications and these verticals that I'm talking about and you move to infrastructure and cyber, we're seeing huge opportunities in cybersecurity. Workflows right now in the software industry are about 50% on-premise and 50% cloud. And that is creating a big cybersecurity challenge for companies. They call it, what's your cybersecurity posture now? As a result of that, we are the largest, you combine all of our portfolio companies, by far the largest cybersecurity company in the world with about 5.6 billion in revenue. And that's a sector that we've been so active in since 2009 and our activity has accelerated. Interesting. What do you think is driving that acceleration? Is it the fear of various vulnerabilities within uh, enterprise? Is it just the, the fact that people need to continue to upgrade their protection and their moat around their company to protect against hackers? You know, are, are some of these key trends something that you expect to continue? The, the, the big issue, and as I mentioned, is that hybrid world between on-premise and cloud. And that's creating a big problem because companies, products that protect you on the cloud are different than companies that protect you on premise. And those products don't quite communicate with one another. That's creating a big challenge in the industry. Now, the other big interest in cybersecurity that's, that's really, really important to understand, it's not only the threat of being hacked, is in many cases, cybersecurity is what's stopping enterprise customers from moving faster towards digital transformation. So, so in essence, they're not only products that help you protect your enterprise, your, your privacy, your employees, your sensitive data, but they're also products that then allow you to pursue your digital transformation goals and mission. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, 
luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Yesterday, we saw a big sell-off in high-growth tech, thanks in part to higher yields making any future profits, especially for these companies that have yet to turn one, more costly to the present value. Given that high-flying software names have really catapulted to the stratosphere, as we were just talking about earlier, they were particularly hit by this yesterday. What does that mean for the markings inside your portfolio? And are you bracing for more volatility in the tech sector as we see what feels like this inflection point with regard to yields right now? It's, um, we believe that that's temporary. Uh, I remember talking to you a while ago, and at that time what was popular was the rotation trade, the opening trade, away from software and tech and into underlying industries. And uh, we mentioned the word rotation trade, and that's what it was. It was a trade. Ultimately, people figure out that they may have bought a lot of bad businesses for just the purpose of that trade and really the secular growth in where the economy is headed and where productivity is headed. And all these new innovations that we're seeing is this long-term secular trend uh, towards deploying more software in your enterprise. Now, you take uh, the current inflationary fears, which have been going on for a while now, and software is a productivity-enhancing tool. So these tools have a lot more value if there's labor inflation because they allow you to do more with less labor. And there's certainly a labor shortage right now all over the economy, whether it's restaurant workers or knowledge workers or, or what have you. And software is a great productivity tool to be able to deal with that. Interesting. So you believe that the price of treasuries, for example, uh, and the correlation with the software sector, it's only a temporary phenomenon. Ultimately, those two things would decouple over time as people better understand what an inflationary environment looks like for software. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Inflation software, you can increase prices faster than inflation in software because of the quality of your product, the increase in value of your product. And once again, it helps companies deal with inflation, with labor inflation, which could be a big problem. Now, now that's that. The correlation between treasuries and software and growth, it's, of course, it's there. We, we all get it from Econ 101. It's very theoretical in nature. We as a private equity group care about what are the earnings of that company in four to five years, and then what are interest rates in four to five years, and what are the other investable categories at that time, not really what is going on tomorrow uh, in the markets. Now, you mentioned some of the macro issues that are at play, and I want to ask you, because you do have such a wide, uh, diverse, broad-based portfolio of companies that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, how are some of these macro issues impacting your company specifically? Things like inflation, supply chain, labor issues. Are you feeling the pinch from those issues uh, within the software sector? Labor is is a great one. Um, I'm going to say what is not issues. Software is a really simple business. So you don't have a supply chain. And if you produce a great product, you can distribute it globally without a supply chain. Of course, you need salespeople on the ground or you need great sales partners or channel partners to help you. And you can build that infrastructure. But it's a simple business. You build, build a product once and you sell it again and again and again and rent it while you improve the, uh, the value of that product 
over time. So you really have engineers, you have salespeople, you have support people in, in your company. And once again, the simplicity of this can produce very high EBITDA margins if these companies are run, run properly. Labor is a big issue. Uh, retaining knowledge workers, motivating knowledge workers, hiring people, building culture is even more challenging today than it's ever been. And it's a board discussion in every company. And we have our, our ways of, of dealing with it. And that says a lot because as long as I've been covering IPOs, the Silicon Valley ecosystem, tech in general, which is, you know, I don't want to date myself here, but that has been a topic of conversation, how you encourage people to come work in tech, how you pay people in tech, how you continue to incentivize them to work in these areas. So how do you get around that given the current environment? Because it is a mission critical for the success of any large tech business. One thing is leadership and another is economics. From a leadership standpoint, you have leadership in place in these companies that really produce or or work to have a mission-driven organization, a place where young people feel that they're doing something more than just their job, that something holds them together that stands for a bigger thing than each one individually. And we really diligence that when looking at companies and we work with our CEOs and leaders to be able to communicate that and communicate a consistent message. Uh, The second piece is economics. Uh, What are the economics of working at these great companies and producing these wonderful operating results? Well, we have a way of distributing ownership very broadly across our employee base so that everybody can participate in this private equity dream or tech dream or options uh, as you have it. And in many cases, it's much more broadly distributed than what currently happens in, in the public markets. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. What can you tell us about sentiment right now between founders, CEOs that you speak with in this sector in terms of their ability or desire to be taken private by a private equity firm versus going public. We do seem to see this kind of bifurcation as the method of going public has eased over time. There are new alternative ways to get public that people didn't have even five years ago. And then at the same time, we've got this massive institutionalized private equity system led by you and some of your peers that have really found this way, this sweet spot of taking companies private through private equity. But can I take us in the mind of the sentiment of the entrepreneurs, of the CEOs that you're speaking with? What do you think is their key goal right now? It depends on the journey that that company has taken. 
it has always been the case that the dream of every software company and technology company is to go public. So you do have that great subset of growth companies that now has multiplied and they're actually getting uh, to be private before, before going public now at scale with high rates of growth. And of course, that whole environment wants to go public. It's really motivating um, as part of a journey of a company. It's motivating for employees. It's motivating for management. And it gives people a sense of external validation of the great work they've done. That will remain in place. That has been in place since the beginning of time. Now, the popularity of private equity in software and technology, it has gone up. And it has gone up considerably. That's why you see these deals at scale and at size, and you see market-leading companies, and you see the, some of the best companies now willing to go private. And when we have these conversations with the CEO is, are we the right party now for this part of the journey for you? And one of the best accolades we've ever gotten from a company is after we sold the company, we asked management, we always have these calls with CEO, CFO, and senior leadership. After we end our journey with a company, say, what changed? How come things went so much better? Was it something we did? Was it something we said? Uh, and they usually say, look, your team gave us the courage to make some of the decisions being private that were difficult for us to make while being public. And the best time we've ever had in our journey from venture capital to different rounds to being public was the time that we were a private equity-owned company. And off they go. And we're seeing more interest in that, while at the same time, the interest in going public remains. The reason I ask that, of course, is because you were one of the private equity uh, firms that sponsored a SPAC. You've got Tom Toma Bravo Advantage, which acquired Iron Source this summer. The stock has really rallied ever since that deal closed, although experienced a bit of weakness over the summer, but since then has certainly provided some gains. However, the SPAC market as a whole has not been so lucky. Uh, huge withdrawals from these vehicles, large price swings. My colleague Yoon Lee wrote in CNBC yesterday that 97% of pre-merger SPACs are trading below their offer price. Now, I know you said historically that you'd like to raise another one of these. Do you still feel that way, given what's going on in the SPAC market right now? I do. And nobody likes SPACs right now. Right? They're out of favor. Regulators don't like them. Investors don't like them. Just nobody likes them. Now, there was a reason why they boomed. SPACs have been around for a very long time. Why was there that sudden spike in SPACs in that particular time? It's the financial markets are adjusting to these great technology companies that are being built and that are getting scale. And they're figuring out how to finance them. Another trend that you're seeing, right, is the world's colliding between private equity, venture capital, and hedge funds. Once again, it's to, how do you finance more of these great companies and innovations? And the SPAC market boomed because of that. Now, we believe there's a right way to do SPACs. The advantage that SPACs have in helping a company go public is you can really project and you can really talk to your investors about your projections and management can describe how they think about their business. That has a lot of value. Now, what we believe that has value for is real companies, companies of scale, because those companies actually have a basis for putting out projections. Venture capital companies are very early stage companies. It's very difficult for them to project because they don't have that history. So they have to make too many assumptions, which may create that volatility. There could be major improvements in the SPAC market, like accountability. We believe that a SPAC sponsor 
together with the company, should put up all their numbers in the past and continue to report on every quarter on how they've done versus projections. That will improve that market. If people coalesce around that or there's, or there's, there are regulations or rules around this. And finally, we believe there should be alignment. Just like in private equity, there's alignment between the manager and the LPs in terms of that capital contribution made by the GP. In, in the SPAC market, you should have the, the SPAC sponsor invest a significant amount in that type. And we did all these things with Iron Source. I feel we partnered with one of the best software companies in the world that grew last year over 80% with over 30% EBITDA margins. And we did it in a way that combines, I feel, the best of the private equity world and the public markets. And this will come back when, when done differently. Mm. So, so basically, if I'm, I'm reading between the tea leaves here, you believe that a traditional IPO process, kind of the best of that world in terms of historical financials, uh, more disclosure and accountability and so forth, combined with the benefits of the SPAC in terms of be, being able to have uh, that ability to forecast and, and share your projections with investors, that would together make for a better SPAC system. Do you believe that those rules need to come from the SEC or is it going to be something where investors just sift through various SPAC deals and figure out which one's best? I think what is best is disclosure. More disclosure. Allow for the disclosure of the SPAC sponsor's entire track record. So the individual investor or the institutional investor can review it and they can see if they like it or not. Maybe they like somebody with no track record because they feel they're very hungry, but at least it's there. And have more disclosure around how you're doing versus projections. I feel that the alignment, which is the, the co-investment and how that SPAC sponsor invests real dollars behind the entity, I think that should be led to market forces and the market will figure that out over time. Interesting. I want to uh, get a question for you from a viewer. Uh, Catherine asks, the head of the SEC has described cloud computing as a systemic risk for the financial sector. Uh, what's your response to that? Do you agree? But cloud computing is what, uh, what is allowing the transformation of, of the entire business world into a more efficient world. It's, it's, it's basically the way that solutions are being provided by the software industry to allow you to take workflows that were done manually or in, in archaic ways and in inefficient ways and automating them so that humans can spend their time in more creative tasks and more higher value added tasks, which increase their wages. Uh, that's why the term that was so well coined of software eating the world, it's, it's made possible because of cloud computing and the rental model of SaaS associated with it. You don't try to kill that. That's a source of even competitive advantage for the country. What you do is you try to secure that world with the right cybersecurity, the right policies, the right procedures, um, so that you can have the secure functioning of this, of this ecosystem. 
You mentioned uh, Mark Andreessen's favorite or uh, famous phrase from a decade ago, this idea that software is eating the world. One could say that in the last few years, the reverse is true. The world is gobbling up software in a really big way, uh, especially more recently, the retail investors' names like Snowflake and Palantir have all uh, been favorites, been meme stocks, and had their time in the sun, at least with kind of the Robin Hood trading class. How do you think about that, especially as you're someone who is trying to assess where opportunities are for potential buyouts and things of that nature. I mean, is this disruptive to your ability to do your job as a dealmaker? I don't think so. We are fundamental investors, and we go after the market-leading software companies where we feel we can do something very positive in partnership with management. We're agnostic as to who owns that company, whether it's a public investor, uh, what the makeup of those public investors are. We're agnostic to that. It could be a division of a company. It could be even a private company. It could be a founder-owned company. We do all of those deals and enter into, into all of those partnerships. Now, if, you, if you're asking my opinion about this trend, I really like it. Um, I really like the retail investor. I think the retail investor is smart. I think it's adding capital to these companies, and it's providing some competition to, to the establishment. It certainly is fun to watch from the sidelines, which is where I sit. Um, What about crypto in particular? You recently participated in a Series B round for FTX Trading, which is a cryptocurrency exchange that round valued the company at $18 billion. Uh, Should we take this to mean that you think crypto is here to stay? Absolutely. Um, How could you not love crypto? You know, look, look, look at the movement. Um, Aren't we all tired of paying all those transaction fees and exchange rates and seeing currencies in different countries being completely devalued and watching our uh, friends in Argentina carry calculators around to try to purchase based on inflation rates? I mean, crypto is just a great system. It's frictionless. It's decentralized. And young people want their own financial system. So it it is here to stay. Now, on top of that, the underlying technology of blockchain, regardless of what, what protocol or what um, system really you're, you're building upon, can be very powerful and sometimes provides better use cases than database software. Are you invested in any crypto yourself? Of course, I am. What? Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Uh, that's for me. Yeah. For, for me, look, and it's, it's pretty simple. Are more people going to use it in the future than today? And is it going to be more established? Uh, and institutions are just beginning to, to go there. And once that happens, uh, it'll, uh, you know, I, I think it'll uh, increase significantly over the years. Increase significantly how? Do you have a, a sense of, of just how high Bitcoin can go? Look, I'm very bullish. I'm not going to give you a, a number because looking at fundamental value here is very difficult. But you have a finite supply and you have more use cases. And you have more people that will use it. And you have institutions that are not really yet in the game in a big way. And that's all positive for demand. Fascinating. Uh, And lastly, you come from Puerto Rico, one of my personal favorite places. Uh, You're one of the few uh, Latino members of the private equity community. Uh, Can you give us a sense of what that's been like uh, with regard to kind of taking a different perspective, um, kind of showcasing your diversity in the investments that you make? I appreciate that. Um, It's been great. Um, The ability to feel maybe 
a little bit different uh, is very motivating. Maybe that's what allowed us to think as a team a bit differently about software in the year 2000 and think about it as a both a cash flow and growth business, not just as a venture business before. Maybe there, maybe the, our backgrounds and our different backgrounds allowed us to, to think a, a, a bit differently about that. Now, what we do is very meaningful because just looking to get more um, Latin Americans into private equity, into tech, what we do in the Bravo Family Foundation in Puerto Rico with our Rising Entrepreneurs Program and providing a, a role model of go ahead and take risk, do it in North America where the opportunity and the money is, uh, try to do it in a big way. And, and you belong is, is just, uh, it's, it's a, it gives me a mission-driven approach. And I use the same approach when working with our management teams of our companies, empowering them as well. Even though they're running billion-dollar companies, everybody needs help and, uh, and everybody needs to be played to their strengths. And, and we're passionate about that. That was Orlando Bravo, co-founder of the private equity firm Toma Bravo. He joined us at CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference on September 29th, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. Don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit CNBCEvents.com to learn more about upcoming events and how you can join us. We'd love to have you there. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.